Welcome to the Welfare Culture Podcast, where we talk about all things Indigenous wellness. Everybody, welcome back to the Well for Culture podcast. Today, I'm introducing a very special episode in which Thosh interviews Sean Sherman, also known as the Sous Chef. We've been following Sean's work for a few years now, and it's just incredible the things that he does in the area of revitalizing indigenous food systems. Uh, a little background story is that Thosh and I first met Sean in person. A few years ago, probably around 2014, when we first launched Welfare Culture and started traveling. So in that time, Welfare Culture has grown quite a bit and Sean's work has just totally taken off. So it's been really fun to see uh, the trajectory of Indigenous health moving forward in this progressive way. Uh, We very much admire Sean. He's an awesome guy in addition to being a mover and shaker in this area of indigenous health and wellness. Uh, He's doing the most incredible work when it comes to indigenous foods, and he has a lot of exciting knowledge to share with us today. In the interview, you'll hear a lot more from Sean himself about what he does, but we'd like to mention that Sean is an award-winning chef He has won the 2018 James Beard Award for Best American Cookbook. He has won the 2019 James Beard Leadership Award. He has also been a past recipient of the First People's Fund Fellowship and the Bush Foundation Fellowship. So in addition to a lot of other accolades, he is an award-winning chef. So uh, with that, we'll let Thosh and Sean take it away. I, I want to say thank you for giving us some time to, to sit down and discuss some of these things right here. And we're really excited about that. So tell us, tell me about what was it like growing up and how did you become a chef with using indigenous foods? All right. So um, I grew up on Pine Ridge Reservation, so I'm enrolled with the Ogallala Lakota. Um, both my parents were born and raised on the reservation. My dad was from Kyle, South Dakota. My mom was from Pine Ridge. And, um, you know, I just, we grew up in the country. Like we had a lot of open space down there in Pine Ridge. There's a lot of grassland, a lot of cactus, a lot of rattlesnakes and bull snakes and coyotes and antelope. Um, it's just a really wide open space. And, you know, Pine Ridge borders the, uh, badlands of South Dakota too. So you crawl into the grasslands and into this whole other territory terroir you know there's just like it feels like you're in the southwest when you're in the badlands right and then from there you have the black hills which where we spent a lot of time um so i spent a lot of my summers in the black hills we had a cabin there and just a lot of time running around you know the conifers and crawling around the rocks up there and just like really being a part of that landscape um and you know for me, like looking back, like food was something that was always around me. And I started working in restaurants at a really young age because my mom moved us off Pine Ridge right before I started high school. And I just, I took a job as soon as I could because like a lot of families coming off a reservation, we didn't have a lot of money and single parent raising two kids was what my mom's thing was and going back to school. So I started working in restaurants and I was barely 13 when I got my first restaurant job. And just working restaurants all through uh, high school. And I went to college there and then Spearfish, um, the Black Hill State University. Um, and then from there, I moved to Minneapolis. Um, so cooking was just a part of like what I was doing. And when I moved to Minneapolis, I just uh, continued working restaurants because it's something I had skills. Um, but I, I moved my way up really fast in the city. And within um, barely four years, I um, got my first executive chef position at a restaurant. It was a Spanish restaurant. It was one of the first um, Spanish restaurants that opened up in the cities. Um, And uh, I learned a lot and it just kind of shot me off on my path as a chef. Um, And I worked at quite a few different restaurants um, and it was a lot of fun and I learned a lot, like I said, but um, I hit a point a few years into my career where, you know, I just had this realization of like, you know, I'm here in Minneapolis, it's a cool food scene, there's food from all over the world, Um, but there was nothing that was representing the actual land I was standing on. And it made me look backwards too, because like as a chef, I could, I could name off hundreds of European recipes without even thinking about it. And I could barely name a few Lakota recipes, you know? 
And uh, just looking around, like where, where are all those native restaurants at and where's all the native cookbooks at and where are all the native chefs at, you know, and I met tons of cooks that had native background, but there was like no native food anywhere. Um, so it just made me want to understand. So I just spent the next few years researching, trying to understand like what were my Lakota ancestors eating? Who were they trading with? What kind of, were they growing anything? What were they growing? Um, what were they harvesting? How were they preserving foods? Um, all of these questions. And I really wish like people in my parents' generation would have started that work because they would have been a lot more elders to ask very like uh, questions that people would have direct memories with, you know? But for me, I just had to dig and dig and dig and uh, digging through not only talking to elders and trying to discern like what was, you know, what was true Lakota compared to what's mixed. And then also just digging through lots of ethnobotanical texts, trying to understand the plants and how people were utilizing them. And it just made me grow more and more. So pretty soon I was back in Minnesota and I was like, you know, learning about all the tribes there and under, starting to understand histories better and the migrations of peoples better. And today we look at North America as a whole um, and really on the global scale of indigenous knowledge, but our focus is North America. So we look at Mexico through Alaska and the immense diversity of all the different nations and all the different farming styles and the agricultural zones and all the different, uh, the commonalities of just that vast knowledge of wild plants everywhere and how it ties in. And just like the, the immensity of how much health was there before and trying to figure out like what did we lose in this past hundred years you know because like we lost so much in such a short time so trying to figure out how to bring as much back as possible through this understanding of food and that's kind of where we are with our work is just trying to create a system that that does just that tell us a little bit more about the indigenous food labs and the natives the the nonprofit is it yeah. That you guys started. Tell us about that work. So, um, you know, early on with the career starting the sous chef company, my partner Dana Thompson and I, you know, we ran a food truck for a while called Tatanka Truck and it was super popular. Um, and we were worried actually when we first opened because we had this really cool food truck and we started marketing it right early and people were excited and we're like, but people were like, yeah, I need a food truck. There's going to be great to pick up some fry bread and stuff. And like, <laughs> oh man, they're not, they don't even know that we're not even going to do they're fry bread, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, because we did only pre-colonial flavors of this area and focused on, you know, the foods that were here. So primarily the foods of Dakota and Ojibwe. Um, and we just like really made that our focus. Um, so cutting out uh, colonial ingredients like dairy, flour and sugar was our biggest challenge. Um, and cutting out proteins like beef, pork and chicken. And just really trying to create um, indigenous recipes using indigenous foods, right? Um, so, and it just helped us grow because we created all sorts of cool recipes. And we've been, we've had our catering company open ever since then um, and originally we were just going to try and get a restaurant open so we could have a bigger platform and stage to showcase like how awesome native foods are and how much we could do with them but then we started traveling and talking to other communities all across the nation and seeing like how much this is needed everywhere so we wanted to do something bigger than just opening opening up a restaurant in Minnesota uh, we wanted to reach out to as many communities as possible so we came up with this um, idea of this nonprofit. so we formed Natives, which is an acronym for North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems, um, a couple of years ago, and we are just at the cusp of doing what we're trying to do. So we developed a brand under Natives called Indigenous Food Lab, which is a nonprofit restaurant model that we're going to be um, hopefully opening up just in a few months here in Minneapolis. And uh, Na uh, Indigenous Food Lab is a is a restaurant where the public can come and get to try a bunch of really cool Native American foods, um, but it's more about about this it's a training center where people can come and learn about indigenous food system based in um, indigenous education and curriculum so we're looking at being able to teach and offer classes on native american farming techniques and seed saving and um, uh, wild foods and ethnobotany and harvesting techniques um, and we want to do all sorts of cooking and culinary and food preservation language and history and just really create a, a fun and applicable and easy education model where people can just come and just learn if they want to, you know, because we part of this work was identifying what is indigenous education and just understanding that it's thousands of generations of knowledge that was handed down family after family. And all of those lessons of giving you the blueprints of how to live healthy and sustainably, um, utilizing primarily plant knowledge when it comes down to it, but also just like understanding the holistic.
holistic value of like being a part of the environment, you know, not trying to be on top of it and trying to return a lot of that education. Um, so for us, this is just an opportunity because we can offer these classes that should be out there for indigenous peoples anyways, um, and making them accessible. And what we want to do is work with the tribes nearby us and help them to develop some kind of healthy indigenous um, kitchen for their community. And it could be something as small as a catering operation or as large as a full scale restaurant. Um, and we want to play um, development and training and support for them with the indigenous food lab in the city. So so we can always train all of their workers through us and get them ready and be a support system. And then our final goal is just taking that model of indigenous food lab in the city and tribal community extensions um, and mimic that everywhere. So we could open up in say Albuquerque or Phoenix or Denver or Seattle or Boston or Chicago, anywhere really. And each one would be a regional center point to work with tribal communities to help them have a place for training, for education, um, and just development and support in general and just showcasing that immense diversity that we have, but beginning to connect us as indigenous communities through food, because that's what's really going to make us stronger is if we really bind together and uh, work together to create um, a better future instead of all of us like trying to, uh, you know, going through these same problems that each tribe has, you know, and all the same, all the same stuff with fighting diabetes things and, um, you know, just trying to figure that out because we want to, we just feel like we need to be so much stronger, but we need that education out there and yeah. we need that access to that education and the food out there. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's greatly needed too from region to region. And you talked about the immense diversity that exists between regions too. And I think that maybe a lot of our own people don't realize the amounts of foods that have existed out there. And you said something the other day last week when we were over at the Healthy Future, Healthy Kids, uh, No To Be Gay 3 conference. And you said that we don't really know what you don't really know what you have until you've lost it. And you're in, talking about in regards to food. So I want to pull it back a little bit too. And for our listeners that probably don't understand the impact that colonialism has had on our food sources. And I want you to maybe describe a little bit about the diversity you've seen um, throughout native country in your work. Yeah. I mean, it's really great. It was really a great opportunity to be able to grow, um, to be able to travel and visit and work with directly a lot of these communities everywhere and like be outdoors with them and really get to the feel of the land that they're from, you know, whether we're outside of Seattle or upper state, New York, down in Florida, deep into Mexico, way up in Alaska, you know, you just see all of this immense indigenous history and knowledge and diversity everywhere. And it's just really showcasing like how valuable all of this diversity is and how we should be really celebrating this diversity as indigenous peoples um, and really showcasing how different we are and fighting it back against not only the colonialism that happened against us, but all this cultural appropriation that we see against us as indigenous peoples of lump summing us all into one image, you know, or even the piece of fry bread, which kind of like uh, tries to represent all of us as indigenous peoples and especially the lower 48, you know, and, you know, we need to showcase like how, uh, how big and how diverse Indian country is and like how much there is to explore in North America that really hasn't been understood. And you have to know the indigenous backbone of the, of this, of this landscape before you can really get there, you know? So it gives us an opportunity, um, when we're traveling to be able to voice, um, all these lessons that we've learned, um, to really talk about the histories and share that with people um, and show like how destruct how destructive colonialism was against us you know especially when it comes to not only losing all of our land and getting pushed into smaller areas um, and being basically forced into poverty but the assimilation and boarding school residential school efforts and how damaging that was on so many levels you know so not only like starting to wipe away our own education as indigenous peoples but to also introduce us into a lot of domestic and sexual violence that still resonates in a lot of our communities today as a direct result from those lessons that were learned in boarding schools, you know. And so you mentioned that, you know, going all the way from Alaska to deep in, in Mexico and and, you know, from the swamps in Florida. And there's just so much diversity, you know, in all of our different foods. And it's interesting. You go to the northwest coast and you see, you know, salmon and the, the high fat. You know, we go to the plains there and we see high protein wild game and, you know, the different types of, of, of nuts and pine nuts in the California region. All of the three sisters, you know, tribes that span from Mexico to all the way parts of northeast Canada. And, 
And through your travels to a native country, what has it been like to work with all of those different foods and to work with the people that, that take care of those foods too? You know, it's just, it's just something that's really special that, you know, I hope a lot of people can experience. And I hope as we d help develop some of these restaurant models that we're hoping to put everywhere that people will be able to experience all these different flavors, you know, cause a lot of these foods aren't commodified and they're out, they're not out there on the market. You know, you really have to like be there. So like, whether you're like in the middle of the great basin on Idaho and you're looking at a completely different food system than just over the other side of the mountains, you know, there's just like so much to explore. Um, and you just really try to make food taste exactly like where you are utilizing what's around you. You know, you just look at the flavors like, you know, we're just down in Albuquerque and, you know, there's tons of uh, the cactus fruit out. The choya buds are out. Um, there's all sorts of wild herbs everywhere, all the animals that are from that area. And it's easy just to look and think about what's from there. And then on top of that, you have agricultural history of so many wonderful seeds and grains and things, you know. So it's really important to do that. But, you know, the health aspect is what's really the most important part to all this and to understanding how a clean diet really works and how whole foods really work and the amount of work it takes to get to that you know it's not something that comes easy because indigenous peoples didn't have the entitlement to just have foods given to them you know they had to work really hard as community to get their foods um, and it's amazing to see like how much diversity was out there amongst these groups all over the place and how much they were connected to the land to be able to survive for thousands of years and develop so many traditions that um, helped and enabled that right um, so we just look at you know that that diet aspect of what people were eating and you see that commonality of indigenous diets across the board um, and there's variances in it you know and you see the fad diets out there you know people are trying to um, jump on these fad diets and a lot of them are just mimicking what indigenous diets already were except we're just so more diverse and we're more true you know you look at paleo diet right it's not a bad diet it has the right mechanisms in it it's just how the you know it kind of like how they voice it a little bit you know because you're you know what's the factual background of calling it a paleo diet you know like in which which area of the world is it supposed to come from officially you know there's a lot of weird questions that come up and you see people arguing with each other but you know for indigenous diets it's just something that we already had we can reclaim and we can evolve into something new and we can maintain that immense amount of health through our indigenous diets by eating really clean proteins with a lot of great fats a lot of great seeds and nuts all over the place um you know, a lot more uh, tubers with less carbohydrates in them. So they're just cleaner for us. Um, knowing how to process our own heirloom varietals, again, which are much less sweeter than what's out there on the markets today, you know, and just, you know, keeping that glycemic scale low, keeping the salt intake low, keeping the, the sugars low, of course, like I said, but, you know, and just so much immense plant diversity of being able to utilize all of these plants of, from whatever region we might be in. Like there's just so much promising future of moving towards an indigenous diet yeah and you know we talked about like regions too and talk about fad diets and that's one of the big components to our area when we talk about a relationship to food is is that it should be regional and one of the things that we have is a is a ancestral foods medicine wheel that we think that every community should should create instead of following the the my plate right which is the government dietary or standards or recommendations of how one should eat and it's high in wheat you know it's high in grains and we didn't we didn't have those you know and so one thing we always say is that well us as native people we need to reclaim our own food system or our own health model by looking at what's in our regions what were the original foods that are in this region but we know that it's challenged today too because a lot of a lot of people don't have accessibility the land has changed right the ecosystem you know invasive species animal migratory patterns have changed so much and so this brings me to another question that you mentioned um, in one of your presentations that you said that you believe that some nations, communities can benefit by adopting other other people's uh, other indigenous people's foods, whether they were a uh, hunter gatherer community originally or maybe they were they didn't do uh, pre-colonial agriculture. And so um, 
Have you seen a lot of communities that have benefit from that? Maybe adopting farming and, and agriculture and that I sense? think there's a lot of opportunity in that. And I think, yeah, I mean, because if you're on, you know, the Pacific Northwest and way up there, there's a lot of communities that are, you know, have really successful community gardens and are making that a part of their food systems. And especially if we can get them to adopt a lot of the heirloom, the native heirloom varietals that are out there, um, you know, that could just be something that's so much better and healthier for them in general. And just um, you know, continuing that story because, you know, if uh, if over time, like, you know, if history was different, the migration of agriculture probably would have continued to push and push and push, you know, in many, many different areas because it, you know, it's it covers such a large area anyways from the bottom of Mexico throughout all of Mexico, the entire Caribbean, uh, across the entire eastern seaboard up into parts of Canada, um, throughout both Mississippi and Missouri River Valleys up into, again, like deep into what is North Dakota and parts of Canada. And like, you know, there was like so much widespread and we have so much shared culture, you know, way up here in Minnesota where we're at today to even way down in Mayan territory in the Yucatan, you know, because of that corn culture relation. But today's world, like we have to adapt and evolve as indigenous people and to and to we have the rights to identify our own foods um, and to um, you know because that's what the true sense of and, and definition of food sovereignty is is giving people the right to define that of what they're growing how they're growing it to what kind of seeds they're utilizing and what they're harvesting and what kind of what are their natural medicines and things like that so we as indigenous peoples have to define those and have to move forward with it but we all have to play a role in it you know we have to all be active in it too it's not something that you're just going to have a few people doing to benefit from like we all have to be active in it yeah we need that support like grassroots uh political policy in, in our tribal communities even our our economic development has to be behind it right it needs to be really uh a multiple approach right you, you know we see a lot of communities that are, are are really doing that this community in shakopee one of them oneida is doing some awesome things with their food sovereignty and and you know making it accessible to the people and also selling a little bit of it as well and what ha what else have you seen around native country where people or where communities are, are really being progressive in food sovereignty i i just think there's a really big movement happening um in indian country no matter what um like you know um we're gonna be we're here at this conference which is amazing there's so many people here doing so many wonderful things and we get to hear all these different stories you know and then like i'm sending my team out to um, uh, Pokagon in Michigan, and they're going to be, um, putting on a huge dinner for 800 people. But, you know, with, there's just so much movement because there's, uh, so many more chefs coming out. There's so many more academics, um, really focusing on, um, trying to understand and to represent, um, there's a lot more journalists, you know, we have this journal, Native American Journalists Association here right now. There's a lot more voices coming through from Indian country. Um, and there's just like this big movement happening across the board. And I feel like a a lot of the tribes are actually starting to catch on like even my tribe on pine ridge they're having their very first food summit this winter you know and we're seeing it all over the country and you know it's just up in alaska and that was happening up there and you know it's it's moving everywhere you know and we feel like you know this this can happen on a global scale and if we can figure this out as indigenous peoples in north america we can be role models to help turn this around everywhere you know and just just need a few tribes to really jump on board to really push to make this happen and to play the role models for the rest of us as we grow, you know, um, and it's just, there's a lot of lessons that we're going to have to make and a lot of decisions, but we have to work together and we can, we can make it happen because it's, it's building no matter what. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a, just an amazing time that we are in because what we always say too, is like, it seemed like there was a wellness movement starting before that was, that really ignited things with, uh, you know, sobriety and things like that. And, um, real identifying historical trauma and which started back what some people tell us is at the end of the red power movement that hunt started but it seems like in this past 10 years there's the movement growing to reclaim our foods and that component right component to to our our wellness because before you would go to gatherings right and it'd be so much unhealthy food i mean we've been to uh, gatherings that have to do with diabetes and they go and they serve candy you know they yeah. got they got uh, you know m&m sitting on the table yep. you know or they serve muffins in the morning and and so now we're seeing that they're becoming more and more conscious and they're, they're they are are serving indigenous foods and in fact um about four years ago when we first met you here in shakopee during that gona it was a gona about tobacco and you know they, they had all native chefs 
cooking predominantly with native foods and you were one of them that's where we first met you when i thought mm -hmm. this is like the first conference i'd been to <laughs> where they're serving like you know real food and indigenous food and then for a snack they serve like tonka bar you yeah. know or something like that so it really is in this amazing time um to do that and so you you cook uh, pretty much with all indigenous foods you you don't use any like pre-colonial foods in that and well i mean you know there's a lot of plants that have been introduced because our environments like you mentioned sure. before are completely different so there's sure. a lot of invasive species or what right. you would call invasive species but a lot of them are just really healthy foods too when it comes down to it and it's just adapting um, an evolved indigenous perspective on your foods so especially looking at the wild plants and the environment around us so instead of like oh i can't eat that dandelion because it's not indigenous right. you know it's it's right it's looking at it from the indigenous perspective you know is this food is this medicine like really learning the true purpose of these plants and how we can adapt them into um ideally our diets or our medicine or something you know or craft with them but figure out like what what's our relationship with these plants is what it really comes down to you know so it's not really drawing a, a hard line it's not saying we're only cooking foods like it's 1491 or something you know it's just you know trying to adapt and trying to evolve by understanding the level lessons of the past as much as possible and really featuring and focusing a lot of those indigenous flavors as much as possible. But, you know, again, for us cutting out those three main pieces of uh, wheat flour, cane sugar, and dairy was a huge part of it, you know, unless it's like, you know, for, for children, they need dairy, but, you know, so raising your kids with, with mother's milk is something that's so important. Right. But, you know, most of us don't need dairy products by the time we're past like child rearing age, you know, so, and we lose all the enzymes to break down that lactose anyways because we, we were evolved for that a lot of times when we've eaten your food at, when you have have cooked for for events and you you'll sweeten things just a little bit with a little bit of, of maple syrup because we know people love you know sweet foods right and that's some of the biggest challenges that we face right in native countries people say well you know it's hard for me to put the sweets down you know and you know people are constantly looking for substitutes and, and you utilize um real natural all organic uh, maple syrup and i don't tell us a little bit more about the different foods that you use that in and different ingredients yeah i just you know maple is just it's we're in this we're in maple country up here for sure and it spans in quite a big region but um people love using that flavor and like we, we use a lot of agave in different areas or we just use a lot of fruits and berry flavors too you know there's a lot of natural sweeteners out there and even just like squash we use like roasted squash for dessert pieces all the time too because it's already so sweet and it's just being conscious about like how much sugar content you're putting into your food because you don't really need it to make the food taste good and just a little tiny bit goes a long ways you know and you still have to be weary because like one tablespoon of pure maple uh, syrup has like 13 grams of carbs in it mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. it's a lot it is <laughs> that's why back in the day it was a medicine and they would just take a small small sip exactly and just mixing a little bit into a lot of water because you can taste that flavor and still get some nutrients out of it you know so but yeah it's just being conscious you know and you know i feel like being diet uh, being being uh, um, versed on diets and how they really work with your body is such an important part and it should be uh, we should be training all of our kids on it you know because when we have huge populations of teenagers getting type 2 diabetes like there's a huge problem going on and we need to be really focused on training them what is nutrition and what they should be putting in their bodies you know because we can't just be feeding them carbs after carbs after carbs and wondering like i wonder why they have diabetes you know so there's just so much to learn and you know indigenous diets are just so cool like you know we just see so much um, passion behind uh people who are really getting on board with pursuing um, indigenous foods and indigenous diets and they're just going to be healthier because it's just a healthier food base you know and we feel like we can have the impact on tribal communities by just bringing getting it into those tribal communities but making it cool and making people want to have indigenous foods over like gas station foods processed foods fast foods and you know that kind of stuff and so since you're from the plains and you know i know you work with foods from all over the place and um you know, the bison, we were just talking about the bison earlier, and we know that historically that a lot of our ancestors used that all areas of the bison from the bladder to the horn, um, you know, to, to the bones for different types of things and all that. And, and what's been your experience with, you know, if you've been on a, a buffalo harvest and in addition to utilizing the meat, 
what have you how experienced today where people are restoring the use of the different the animal? There's a, a lot of really great um, people out there doing a lot of training and all the different byproducts that come off of these animals, you know, and, and it's not just and it's not just bison by any means. It's anything when it comes down to it, um, animals or plants, because, you know, as indigenous peoples, we just had to be extremely resourceful and we didn't have, again, the entitlement to even be wasteful. We had to figure out a use for everything. So, of course, like we figure out a use for absolutely every piece to whatever we're breaking down, whether it's an elk or a prairie dog or a bison, you know, and with bison, you know, we see a lot of um, cool stuff going on. We've been doing uh, the Great Lakes Food Summit the last uh, few years um, where we've been harvesting a full bison over the last couple of years. And being able to like break down all the pieces and get all these pieces to different people wanting to do different stuff with it. So people can take the hides and start to brain tan them. People can take some of the shoulder bones and make some of those cool hoes that you find like in Buffalo Bird Woman's Gardens book. Um, and there's just like so many different pieces of, of things that we could be utilizing. And it's like just teaching that as a part of our culture, again, of just being super resourceful with everything we're using. You know, again, whether it's animal product or plant product, but figuring out the true value and purpose of all these pieces and how they can benefit us if we take care of these things and make it a part of our lives yeah and i love that photo you showed of of buffalo bird woman and she's using that that shoulder bone yeah there's a hoe in there and, and she's from a rickerall right yeah no she's a datsa a datsa yeah. yeah so that seems like that seems like one of the awesome resources that that tells you know the way that our people were living there in addition to to our oral tradition but what what have you what did you learn from that book there that that that's such a great book so anybody who hasn't read buffalo bird woman's garden should pick up a copy because it just chronicles um her memories of um it's buffalo bird woman um it's written in the early 1900s she's an elder at that time and she just gets her memories down of growing up a hadatsa farmer on the missouri river valley just inside what is modern day north dakota really close to standing rock area you know and um just how you know the lessons that she learned from her family that had been passed down for generations and how they were farming without any european um utensils or even metals or steels you know they were just using all these things so she has those buffalo shoulder bone hoes and antler rakes um and it's just such a well detailed um, book and it's so rare to read um, an indigenous perspective on agriculture um, and it's even more rare to hear a female's voice being able to tell that story because female voices never come out of history and even uh, an indigenous female voice on top of that. So it's such a wonderful, special book you can learn so much from. Right. Yeah, I love that, too. And um, I seen that book downstairs and I'm like, I got to get that book, you know, because I, I love trying to collecting, you know, as much as that, because I put a lot of my understanding just from our old tradition from at home what we're learning growing up when it comes to our food sources but also i love to peek into to some resources that are coming from you know native people too and that's good because on my dad's side um um from salt river pima so we're you know farmers on that side and, and hunters and on my mom's side i'm wajaji in uh Haudenosaunee. so uh, i i come corns bean and squash people from way across yeah. and then plains people you know and so so how we like to eat too in our home is is a mix of of wild game a mix of, of bison and sometimes we can't get our hands on that so we'll eat some grass-fed beef here mm -hmm. and there um and then we of course try to throw in a lot of the foods that we grow in our in our family's field and we buy from ramona farms a lot too when we don't have the stuff like mostly the beans that we get from them the the white beans yeah and the brown beans Those low, yeah. yeah the tepary beans are awesome we, we do all sorts of things i make different types of salads with them and soups and stuff and you know make a make like a hummus out of them and and all of that and so we really we really think that it's important that our people learn to like i guess hybridize too right yeah, our foods and evolve and to evolve and and and, and use them in, in such different ways and so um wh what would be your recommendation for people out there that that have access to a little bit of their original foods but don't know what to do with them you know and they're, they haven't been taught to to evolve and to hybridize and, and mix them up with other foods that they have access to that are healthy like what would be your recommendation for yeah this? i mean i think you know people get a little bit uh 
Um, they lose confidence when they're cooking foods and, you know, it shouldn't be that way. You should just have fun. It's just food. You know, you just play with it and experiment with it, get to know it. And then you start adding a few flavors, like just get to know the base. Like how do you just, what do you do with dried corn and how do you cook this and what's a good ways to do this? And once you get it down a couple of ways, you start adding some more flavors and try it in a different way. And if you mess it up once, like who cares? Like you figure it out again the next time. It's just lessons. That's how we learn, you know? So it shouldn't, people shouldn't be afraid of food. They should just uh, have fun with it and you know explore and you know just entice people who are interested in food to grow and to try and mess and find find out new stuff you know we get so stuck in our own way some people hate change so much especially when it comes to food but it's fun to experiment with food and it's fun to see how many cool recipes we can come up with and all the different styles and just getting people to challenge themselves to try and if they're interested in indigenous foods to try and cook with only indigenous foods you know like see how much they could do like what plants are growing right outside your house and right around your area you know and uh, what you know what the native pieces can you find from your region and just trying to like make foods taste like exactly where you are you know because here is like we have such a short growing season but we have so much food that pops out so fast with wild onions and wild gingers and we have all these like cedar trees and pine trees and there's all sorts of different tubers like hopness and sunchokes rose hips all sorts of berries and apples and plums there's like so much out here you know and it's easy and you can apply that anywhere again like if you're in the desert if you're way down in mexico if you're way up in alaska you just look around and think about land and space and how indigenous people survived for thousands of years and the kind of flavors they were using and how can you um, put those pieces into your pantry and what kind of new items can you come up with you know yeah i mean it's amazing that that the what would exist out there and you mentioned that before you said you should be able to just walk out your door and look around and be able to pick this this weed or pick this root you know what i mean or get a rabbit or something that that's out there and and in a lot of our places we still have that accessibility right because a lot of times people will say well we don't have accessibility to our foods anymore and i think there's a lot more out there than than many people realize and you're talking about that you're talking about kind of going out and doing research and asking the elders you know what i mean and even looking at an ethnobotanist that might know some things you know that have studied that mm -hmm. and so you know g getting back to this um the, the fad diet thing right there too and we, we 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 see even our own people that subscribe to those notions they want to get on this the paleo or the keto or the carnivore or vegan or vegetarian and a lot of times that those the problems with those diets and it I mean, the big, big, big problem with diets is that there, there's this like one size fits all approach, right? Yeah. And, and it disregards the the bio individuality of the person. It also, in my opinion, disregards the spiritual connection that a lot of our 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 people had had with food, and that's why we had harvest ceremonies or still have harvest ceremonies, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, we we share that a lot with people, and especially our own people who may be kind of, I guess, influenced by dominant culture and. You know, I tell people all the time that we first and foremost had a spiritual relationship with food. You know, what's what what's your understanding of of what a spiritual relationship to food is? Yeah, I mean, you really feel it when you see food from the beginning to the end, you know, and when you're out there and you know and like, oh, look, there, like it's here we have spring. We have these seasons that are real seasons, you know, so you have winter, everything's dormant. Spring comes around and things start to pop out again and you see all this stuff like, oh, look at this patch of raspberries that are just babies are just coming out, you know, and by midsummer, some of them are going to be really tall and gigantic, you know, and just like, you know, thinking about the food because like our ancestors, like so much uh, spirituality and respect went into everything um, whether they're gathering and the songs that they would sing to the plants as they would gather them just and the the gifts that they would leave for them um, and just like all of that tradition that was going into being so thankful and connected to those plants you know and it's really important for us to think about our foods like that because they're this these life-giving pieces that are alive themselves and you know um, our our ancestors they've lived with our ancestors you know it's a part of our they our families too you you know, so it's giving that respect out um, and being that, you know, finding that connection to land and place and really feeling it because you can feel like the, the whole land, like breathing and just being a part. You can feel that energy there, you know, and you can see it through the food, which what makes um, our indigenous food so special when we put so much time and energy, especially with chefs who really believe in passion and have that passion. They can like you know, voice that that story about these foods, where they came from. And like a lot of these foods we harvested ourselves and we're presenting these foods to people you know and you can feel this energy and you feel it when you eat it you just feel better you know it's just cleaner burning food and you know you just 
feel better than if you just ate a big hamburger or something, you know, <laughs> like, and plus that's funny for us, like, cause we have this catering company in Minneapolis. So a lot of times we'll, um, offer a spirit plate, um, which is something that we'll do at the beginning of a meal just to represent, um, you know, everything that went into this food, all the plants, all the animals, all the people who get to enjoy it, all the people who worked on these pieces to get here and all the people who couldn't be here with us like basically give thanks for everything all at once through the food right and um almost every time we're at these catering events in the city people are always like you know can you please tell us about the food and you know where where what's your backstory and what does this come from and it's just like not normal like he's you know like hey jimmy john's guy could you get up and <laughs> tell us about your life and where you came from and why you chose to make this food and stuff like that you know it's just something completely obviously different and you know our you know we just have so much passion for it and our team does too and we're just excited to continue to grow and to help push more not only food producers but chefs and other entrepreneurs out there and we just need everybody again to be active and find their passion in this food movement and be a part of it what about when you go and you work in communities and um a, a lot of times that the elders today haven't even eaten some of the foods that you you bring and cook since they were children and 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 what is that like to experience that that's always pretty amazing because sometimes we do go to communities where some of these tribes haven't had some of their traditional foods for such a long time. So we'll be out there collecting and harvesting with some of their community members of some of their foods that are out there and putting them down into these big meals. And, you know, and then when the elders taste these flavors, sometimes they'll be skeptical about it at first. And then when they taste these flavors, they just like light up with all these food memories. Like, oh, I forgot all about this. Like my grandmother used to harvest this and we used to run through the forests you know we used to know where all the foods were we kept the paths so clean back then and it's like all these memories just pouring out of them you know this ancestral memory that just lights up from tasting that food again for the first time in a long time you know so we feel it's just so important that not only um, do we need this indigenous food in our communities to bring uh, to set the our kids on a healthy path but to um, you know give this to our elders so they can live out the end of their their life um, and their beautiful life with beautiful foods that's a part of them and to be a, to bring that energy back into them and they're going to be healthier because of that too you know so we need all we all need to have access to this food yeah you really hit something you know good there that we talk a lot about too is we talk about that like the vital knowledge that we have as native people really depends on on how well we are to be able to to pass that on to the next generation and you know we see communities where the life expectancy is low as late 40s early 50s and how is an elder to grow a long quality life if they are bogged down by some sort of disease you know one of the diseases of modernity and uh, obesity diabetes all preventable yeah. diseases so it's it's important like you're talking about is to restore these so our elders can live a longer life and of course for our children to be able to sh start them off on in, the right path in the right path exactly and that that's such a big thing in our community so we have multiple generations to think about too and yeah i'm sure that when you go into some of these communities too and and you want to revitalize some of the foods and cook with them that we we get people that are are very used to the foods that to them are traditional like fry bread you know you go to you know a lot of places in native country um you know potato salad is is um is uh the traditional food you right. know? Or, tang. Or, yeah tang yeah <laughs> or you know um tortillas made with refined white flour and mm -hmm. all that so i mean what what's what how do you how do you navigate going into communities like that because i know sometimes it can be you know a challenge to try to get people to to think about the original original foods again you know yeah and i think part of it's just about feel, listening to your body and feeling out how do you feel like you know everybody loves tortillas obviously you know but if you eat a bunch of white flour tortillas you know you're just your stomach's not going to be feeling that good after you're done with all of that and that's just the way it is and then how do you feel after you eat a really clean healthy indigenous food you know a meal and like just what is that doing to your body like you just feel it because we tell people all the time at the beginning of some of the dinners that they'll come to with us like just think about how you're going to feel because like you're going to eat all this food and by the end of it you're actually going to feel energized and not like sluggish and bogged down like you're going to feel good because this is good clean burning food you know and it's just getting people to think like that and like you know we're still going to have fry bread people are still going to make flour tortillas it's fine and there's you know people going to make businesses out of that it's pe something people enjoy and it's a part of our cultures right so we're not trying to push against it completely but we're trying to 
challenge people to bring back more indigenous foods and, th and showcase like how diverse we are from everybody else when we're, when we're looking at our particular cultures, you know, our particular communities and like how much we can share with other people and how much we can grow and how much we can, you know, just be a little bit different than everybody else and have something unique and special to share, you know, and, and that's what makes it really important, I think, is just like, you know, celebrating that diversity again and not just like, you know, uh, if you don't understand somebody, then you're, you know, you just immediately put a blocker up, you know, and that's just racism at its finest when it comes down to it. So we need to be inclusive as indigenous peoples. Like, sure, we fought with each other here and there throughout history. It is what it is. But today we're kind of all in the same boat. We're all in the same world and we need to bind together and we need to really like work together to make something healthy for indigenous communities and to celebrate the deep rooted history that we have on this land um, that we are on today in North America and to really start to take these steps to push back colonialism and to bring back a lot of our indigenous knowledge, our health, and to evolve it into something new for this future. Like we don't have to keep everything the same, uh, try to try to be the same from 500 years ago. You know, we have to be able to evolve and adapt because everything's changing around us and we have to adapt and evolve with it. And we can do that and we can do that with our own values and we can do that with our own foods and we can help protect the environment. You know, there's all sorts of stuff we can do to ensure that we have a healthy native future. Yeah, and, and you really hit on that about talking about uh, ev ev evolving, talking about evolving uh, cultural regeneration. And that's something that we are always encouraging people to as well, because a lot of people, right, you go to communities and they say, oh, well, we lost that knowledge. We lost that, that food. We don't know how to process that or we don't know how to prepare that no more. We don't know what our foods are. And we are always trying to encourage people that, you know, it's many of these things are not lost. They just didn't get passed down. But a lot of information is always existing kind of just throughout communities. Maybe there's a family here, you know, or an elder over here that kind of that kind of has this different information about our food and whether it was a process or, you know, how to talk about it in the language or what the ceremony was that goes with it. And so we always encourage people around the place that you should give yourself that permission as a people, as a community to evolve because our world is changing around us, like you had mentioned. And back in the day, our ancestors created protocols and ceremonies because the world or the environment had called for that right and they they had they had created that based on what was their need to serve them in that purpose and so we're constantly encouraging that we do that in our own little our own little family too because we with, with chelsea and i and our daughter Allo, we have many different nations you know in our little household and so we're always combining things and you know we we we, we create things based on what we feel is right for us you know we created a first solid food ceremony for aloe and we tried to feed her the the, the squash that that she actually helped plant when she was a few months old nice. and so when that the squash came out we called the whole family hey come on over and and um, we're going to do a first solid food ceremony for aloe. And then someone asked, did we do this traditionally? And we said, I don't know, but we're doing it now. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. And so, um, you know, so I agree with you. I think that that's important that, you know, we have to evolve, right? Yeah. I mean, it's great to hold on to traditions and to ceremonies, of course, but we can create new traditions pretty much any time, you know. There's no reason to not to if we want to make something that's special and unique and something that we can carry on and you hope that can last, you know, down the road. And, you know, we, we have so many different rule sets that come from so many different eras. You know, we have the post-colonial Native America where we had to be secretive about um, our ceremonies and our gatherings and even our foods, you know, and we see a lot of elders that still kind of hold that stigma against that and are very cautious about talking about some of those pieces you know but it's a different era now and we need to really um, be able to express ourselves and to identify ourselves and to um, have that opportunity to grow and to evolve um, into the healthy future that we want we you know we have an ambitious vision but we see a path and we're really pushing forward you know we just want to get we just want to create food access and we want to create a center point for indigenous education that's accessible for people to come and find anytime they want to you know because indigenous peoples didn't ever have to pay for food they didn't ever have to pay for education it's just something that was given to them and they had to work hard for you know what i mean um so we just want to create a situation where that can still happen in today's um, time and just we want to help become 
become a resource for indigenous education. And we want to continuously push to create more and more food access out there everywhere. And hopefully, you know, work with people like yourselves to be able to like, you know, make it all a part of everything because we have to take care of ourselves. You know, we have to know um, how to, when to work hard, when to slow down, um, how to eat healthy, when to stay active, like all these pieces. It's an important part for all of what we do and especially to be effective leaders and role models. You know, we have to be careful with how how we go about this, you know. So there's just a lot of important stuff um, that we all need to be doing. But I hope if people want to learn more about us or hopefully come and visit us um, in Minneapolis, that we're hoping to be open um, early in 2019 for our very first, or, sorry, early in 2020 for our very first restaurant, the Indigenous Food Lab. Um, and we hope that people will come visit. I love that you're bringing back that whole teaching that you know, is, is looking at food is, is something in the center, rather is, is money, you know, in the center, because we've seen that the commodification of food in general has really led to our out of balance relationship to food. So, I mean, I think that's great. And I really look forward to that. Tell us a little bit about the cookbook. Tell us a little bit about that process and what really prompted you to get into the book. Well, you know, we just really wanted to get a book out there. We just really wanted to showcase, um, you know, this perspective of looking at indigenous foods, of really taking in the account of um, all the wild foods around us and how our indigenous ancestors had that vast knowledge and bringing a lot of these flavors back into the plates and looking at uh, true Native American agriculture and all the seeds that are still out there and thinking about that diversity and all these different regions. Um, and just thinking about all these pieces, you know, and proteins, of course, food preservation, diversity, um, and just like all these different cooking styles that ha we have from all over the place. But, you know, then that challenge of trying to cook with only indigenous ingredients and really trying to, and the health just comes through it. You know, we're not selling it as a health book, right? Uh, it just happens to be really healthy food that we're playing with and it's culturally relevant and we wanted people to just use that as kind of a blueprint to apply it to wherever they might be and to take some of those perspectives and leanings and you know try messing with food from their own areas and see what they can come up with and go from there and people can you know obviously um um, make some of the recipes exactly like they are in the book but you know why not use a bunch of stuff from your own region wherever you might be and just play with that so we were just really excited to get it out there and uh, the co-author Beth Dooley she's from here too in Minneapolis um, she was just really great to work with and she just helped move that project along so much faster because um, it's a lot of work to put together a whole book you know um, but we're really happy it's out there and we're really happy that we can use it as a uh, training and educational tool. And, you know, we've been able to get it out to entire communities a few times and give away like one one copy of the book per household and, you know, and hold cooking classes and a meal to try and impact those communities to really think about indigenous foods more. So we're happy it's out there and I'm happy. I'm excited to start working on the next one. And you've gotten obviously a, a pretty positive response huh, all across native country from that book. We've had a lot of positive experience. Uh, response. Yeah, it's been really great um, and really humbling to see so many people really like it. Um, you know, when we won the James Beard Award, which is like the biggest award you can win for the cookbook, um, which was huge. So we won the James Beard Award for Best American Cookbook that year in 2018. So it was uh, really special. Can you tell us where people can find more about about your work on your social media? Yep. So people can follow us. You can just look up sous chef, S-I-O-U-X-C-H-E-F. I think we're sous chef on, uh, uh, at sous chef on Instagram. You can just look up the sous chef on Facebook. Uh, we post a lot of stuff there um, and just, you know, share a lot of photos, a lot of adventures as we travel around. Um, Indigenous Food Lab has an Instagram and Facebook site that we'll be growing out. Um, so yeah, just look us up and follow us and uh, we'll be able to, you know, hopefully just uh, let people know when things are moving and happening and where to find us. Well, I want to say thank you and Palamaya for, for giving us some of your time, man. I really appreciate it and you sharing all your work. And we have a lot of respect for you. See, that's what we say. We have a lot of respect for you and the work you're doing. And it's it's so needed. So so thank you once again for well, thanks for having me. So I look forward to working with you guys more. <laughs>